You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. There is no God. That is what one young man named Francis thought in the 1970s. There is no God. Francis was a graduate student in physical chemistry, a scientist. He did not see any reason to think that there were any truths other than those that could be found by mathematics, physics, and chemistry. If there was no reason to believe that there were any truths beyond what you could find in those disciplines, there was no reason to believe that there was a God. Well, Francis... He went to medical school, he became Dr. Francis, and Dr. Francis uh, started to deal with patients, real people, right? Real people with real problems, real people in life and death situations. And as he started to deal with real people and real life and death situations, he started to change a little bit the way that he thought. And one day, one of his patients asked him, Dr. What do you believe? This apparently shook him up a little bit. Francis started to think. He started thinking through some of the ideas that he had earlier rejected based on his belief that only science, you know, mathematics and physics and chemistry were the ways to find truth. And he he started uh, realizing that although he loved science, It simply did not have the power to answer the questions that he was asking. Questions like, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why does mathematics work anyway? If the universe had a beginning, who created it? Why are the physical constants in the universe so finely tuned to allow the possibility of complex life forms like us? Why do humans have a moral sense? What happens after we die? Here's the problem. Dr. Francis had always believed that, quote unquote, faith was irrational, right? Faith was based on pure emotion. But as he read the works of some authors like C.S. Lewis and others, he began to realize that belief in God might actually be entirely rational. He realized that there were strong arguments for the existence of God, real arguments, not just appeals to emotion, not just believe, jump in, close your eyes and hope it works, but real rational arguments, reasonable reasons to believe. And this rocked Dr. Francis. It rocked his earlier belief that there is no God. He realized that the very statement, there is no God, was flawed. As G.K. Chesterton wrote, atheism is the most daring of all dogmas for it is the assertion of a universal negative. And for those of you who know much about logic, you recognize that an atheistic statement like there is no God has out of the gate all kinds of proving negative problems. He recognized that. 
Dr. Francis at this point was in a bind. The science that he had based his life on was not sufficient to give reasons for the answers to the questions that that patient asked him. Doctor, what do you believe? Well, Dr. Francis believed in God. He believed not just in God, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of Jesus. And here's the deal. Dr. Francis Collins went on to become the director of the Human Genome Project and led a consortium of scientists to read out the 3.1 billion letters of the human genome, later saying that he now sees DNA, the information molecule of all living things, as God's language, and the elegance and complexity of our own bodies and the rest of nature as a reflection of God's plan. Dr. Collins is a famous scientist and a believer in Jesus Christ, and he does not see any conflict in being both. Dr. Francis Collins does not see any conflict because there is no conflict. There is no conflict. Lord willing, we will spend the next few weeks walking through a series answering some of the most important questions that humans ask. For those of you who are here in church, maybe for the first time, you may think it's slightly unexpected for a sermon from a pastor to start by talking about science and scientists and things like that. All I can say is welcome to Acts Church. Uh, We are very serious about thinking. We care deeply about reason and logic and strong thinking. For those who may be asking why we would take the time on Sunday mornings during a sermon to talk about these kinds of questions, the answer is actually relatively simple. We believe that the Bible is true. We care about the Bible. We believe it's the inspired word of God. It's the revelation, the revealed word of God to human beings. And it helps one to understand the Bible if one understands how to understand. That may be a little confusing. We understand how to understand by learning how to think well. And we believe, here's the thing, we believe that people are dying and going to hell. Now, later in this series, we'll get to hell. We won't get to hell. We'll talk about hell later. It might feel that way. I don't know. These We'll talk about hell later. But, there's, but there are people dying and going to hell. And here's the thing. We care about them. We care about them. And here's the thing. We know you can read. You can get one of these, pick them up, and read it. And here's the deal. We know it's complicated. We know it brings up all kinds of questions that are not really easy to answer. And because we care about you, Just like when Dr. Francis Collins was searching out answers, I'm sure there were those who came alongside him. We want to come alongside you. We are not serving you well, or we are not honoring you if we pretend like there are not any hard questions with complicated answers. Christianity and the Bible, these are books for for big boys and girls. This This is an adult book. This is a 
this is a book that adults need to understand. Um, I'm really getting in trouble today. Um, Pastor David says, Bible is an adult book. Um, the Song of Solomon can get pretty. Anyway, well, listen. We believe that, that we have to take seriously, seriously, the complicated nature of understanding God. If you thought God was supposed to be super simple and everything should be really easy, you don't understand very much about science, the complexity of the body that you're walking around in, the complexity of the world that God created, the complexity, the beautiful intricacy of theology, the way that things weave from the first page to the last in this book over thousands of years by many, many authors, but all inspired by one Holy Spirit and how it all works out. If you don't understand that there's a lot to walk through there, you're going to find out. You're going to find out because people do and should demand answers. People demand answers to those questions, those difficult questions. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are commanded to give them those answers. Do you know that? 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We believe that we are to give a reason for the hope within. See, I have a hope within. I have a hope that as Jesus Christ was resurrected, that I also will see the resurrection myself. I have that hope, and I've got to give you a reason why I believe in that, why I hope for that. Right? I hope that the Washington Huskies will win the national championship. Come on, it's not that. Seriously. But that's probably not going to happen based on the laughing. I'm thinking that you guys don't think so either. Um, but they did win yesterday, okay? Um, you can have all kinds of hopes, but I have a real hope in the resurrection. And I have a lot better reasons for that hope than I have reasons for thinking that Washington Huskies might win the national championship. Okay, we have real reasons. We believe that Christians should be the best thinkers because our beliefs dictate that we ourselves as humans and that the world are God's perfect, although fallen through human sin, perfect creation. That means we value the mind. We value the mind. There has been a false intellectual gap put upon us in society of late between those who believe in God and follow Jesus Christ and those who do not. And that gap that one knows a lot and that the other doesn't know much is untrue. It's unfair. It's undeserved. It's that gap that you read about in those Reddit threads. Now, I know that everyone over 30 lost me on Reddit. Reddit, it's it's like an internet thing where it's got a lot, a lot of atheists are on there. It's basically guys in their mom's basement, in their pajamas, typing away, you know. But, but here's the thing. They are typing on Reddit the things that they're hearing, reading, and so on from their favorite atheists, popular atheists. And the basic tagline is this. Christians is dumb, right? Christians are dumb. Atheists are smart. Christians don't think science is real. They don't think the earth is round. They think that the tooth fairy brings them coins. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I, there's a young guy up here. You're fine. Brings you coins. Of course, now it wouldn't be coins, right? When we were kids, it was coins. Now the kids are probably getting like five bucks, 10 bucks a tooth, um, which I'll sell you my teeth for that price. So <laughs> atheists understand all the complexities of scientific thought and are just plain more sophisticated. A lot of them have English accents and everything, okay? I hope that you'll see today and through the course of this series over the next several weeks that this belief that some atheists hold and try to, try to put out there, propagate, is nonsense. It's nonsense. But I don't want to hide the ball from you on one thing. This is the church. And this series of sermons and everything else that we do here is ultimately about Jesus, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is about tearing down bringing down strongholds. This is about casting down arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God because we believe that the battle, the battle for the mind, for the heart, soul, is a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, we read this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, if you're a skeptic, you came in here today, you're, you may be hitting the brakes with me right now, right? You're going, okay, see, I knew it talking about the devil and he's talking about spiritual stuff and all that stuff. This isn't going to be scientific. This isn't going to be evidence-based at all. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. First of all, yes, we believe in all that stuff. We have reasons. I mean, this is a church. We have reasons to believe in that stuff. The question is not, do we believe it? That's not the question that you have to ask during the series. The question is the same question you have to ask yourself about why you reject it. And that question is this, do we have good reasons to believe what we believe? Do you have good reasons to reject what we believe? Ultimately, that's the test. Dr. Francis Collins, he believes in all this stuff and he mapped the freaking human genome. Am I allowed to say freaking? I did, it's over. He mapped the human genome. So you cannot simply cast this stuff aside as something that only anti-intellectual, dumb Christians think. Okay? You can't do that. The bottom line is we are not here today to just try to convince people to change their minds about what they believe so we can feel good about ourselves. We are here because we believe that what we believe is true that it's really true and it has an impact on the present existence and future eternal reality of every human being. And there are reasons to believe that that's true. We're called as believers to work hard at thinking well. And thinking well is hard work. Let me just say up front so that we're on the same page. 
The kind of stuff I'm going to do, Lord willing, over the next few weeks can sometimes be difficult. I talk relatively quickly, and you may not get everything the first time through. And so it's all going to be on video, Lord willing. Hopefully the video cameras work. Um, and it's not, the reason it's difficult is not because you have a hard time learning. The reason it's difficult is because the material is difficult. And you may have to watch the video afterwards. You may have to watch it several times. Here's the thing. You've got to do the work. You got to do the work if you want to know how to think well about these things because you are totally able to interact with this content. There are people who tell me, you shouldn't go to a church or public, you know, whether it's a church or whether it's a TED talk or whether it's whatever it is. You shouldn't go into a normal public general audience place and try to talk about this kind of stuff because people don't get it. Well, I completely disagree with that philosophy. I believe that everyone in this room, everyone listening on podcast, radio, wherever you're hearing this, that All of you have the ability to interact with this content, to understand it, and to work with it, okay? We we have the ability to do that. God has given you all incredible minds, and the Holy Spirit can come along and help wherever there's a gap there. But it doesn't mean it's not hard. I was a philosophy major in college, and I remember going into some of these classes, and I'd have read, you know, we read all this stuff, and you show up for class, and you're going to discuss this stuff, and I've read the same thing that these other people read. But when they get in there, they're like, the hypotenuse of the blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was all kind of Greek to me. Um, you know, I'm just trying to sort of figure it out. And they totally got it. And I remember feeling, ugh, because it was hard work. It was hard work to understand this stuff. And I had to do a lot of hard work to get it. And you'll have to do a lot of hard work to get it. So if it's feeling like, uh, this, is a little, this is a little past what I would expect from a Sunday morning sermon, it's like that on purpose. It's like that on purpose. Okay. It's worth it. It's worth it. As believers, we want to understand as well as we can the things that we believe, right? And for the skeptic, we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ by showing you that there are good and rational reasons to change your beliefs, better reasons than the reasons that you would hold on to your beliefs. That's what we believe, that Christianity is actually the best the most reasonable, the most rational belief system on the market of ideas, period. That's what we believe. That's, the, that's what I'm saying. Now, there are honest and dishonest skeptics, okay? There are honest and dishonest Christians. The honest skeptic asks honest questions and seeks honest answers and interacts with the, with the content and thinks through it, okay? The dishonest skeptic has no intention of listening to anything at all. The dishonest skeptic is just looking for ways to argue. They're going to believe what they believe from the, when they walked in the door to when they walk out. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do. I don't know why you would waste your time if that's the case. And by the way, there are Christians like that too. There are people of, all, of every idea who don't listen, who don't engage. All I would say is we're inviting you in if you're a skeptic to this sermon and to this series because we respect you and we care about you because we think you're smart and we want to keep it real with you, and we want to give you what you need to be able to interact with this material because we think it's true and we think it's important. So all I'm asking is that if I'll keep it real, will you please give the content a fair shot? That's all I'm asking. Also, I'm always available to meet one-on-one and walk through this information or listen to you and engage with your objections that you have. I actually love doing that. It's one of my favorites. I enjoy it. So um, I make an effort when I do this kind of stuff, not to lie to you, obviously, right? But what that means is that I do my research, okay? 
I, I don't fly off half-cocked. I can support the things I say, and I actually believe all the things that I'm telling you. Okay? I think that's important for us to know. And during this sermon series, I want you to ask yourself something as we walk through. This is what I want you to ask yourself. What would it take for me to believe in and follow Jesus Christ? What would it take? What kind of evidence would it take? And I want you to ask yourself, when you decide what the level of evidence, I want you to ask if that's the same level of evidence that you required before you made the lifelong decision to get married to your spouse. Or the same level of evidence, the same amount of evidence that you needed to believe that Julius Caesar was a real person. What level of evidence did you need for that? Or to believe that Sioux City, Iowa exists. You ever seen a picture of Sioux City? Hmm? You ever been there? Maybe a couple people? Don't believe them. It does not exist. No, I'm kidding. But the fact is most of us haven't been to Sioux City, Iowa, or probably even seen a picture of Sioux City, Iowa, but most of us believe it exists, right? What kind of evidence did we need for that? And all I'm asking is that you be fair about your belief and about the amount of and level of evidence that it takes for you to believe something. Because if you're not fair about it, if you set the bar so high that it could never be matched, Jesus has to send me a personal letter that he's got to deliver it personally. He's got to write it on a unicorn. He's got, if that's got to be the thing, if you, if you need that level of evidence, then you're not an honest skeptic. Okay, that's not intellectually honest. Anything else is just dogmatic atheism. And why bother? Why bother? So let's dive into a question. Let's start rolling here. Here's a question. How do people know that the things that they believe are true? How? How do they know? I mean, do we even care if things are true anymore is a question that I've got to ask myself sometimes. When I was, uh, before the Lord called us to move to Tennessee years back, I was practicing, practicing law out there, and my wife taught math at a local high school. And interestingly, this high school, they would have kids write essays in the math classes because they were wanting them to work on writing. Um, and, and so they're writing in their math classes, and, and they'd have a question like, should you know, schools go to a year-round schedule, pro or con, and the kids would write these essays. And the thing that was interesting is these kids, in these papers, they'd make arguments for their side. And one of the things they would really commonly do is they would write these statistics, like survey statistics. And they'd say something like, 87% of high school students believe that, that or disapprove of the year-round school program. Therefore, blah, blah, blah. They'd write stuff like that. Now, that might be strong evidence of student opinion, right? It might be. The only problem was there was no such survey. These students would just make up statistics and put them in their paper. And then you'd go and ask, Tiffany would ask, so wh where did the statistic come from? Oh, I just made it up. She'd be like, well, why would you do that? It's not, you know, and, oh, my other teacher told us that, you know, we should use statistics to bolster our arguments. Yeah, real statistics, right? You don't just get to make up 99% of people agree with me, right? So 99% of people agree with everything we're going to say today. Um, that's what they would do, right? It wasn't true. It wasn't real. How would you know if the things they wrote were true? You wouldn't because they were just making things up. Making things up apparently didn't matter to the students whether it was a total lie, which is interesting to me because I wonder to what extent those who are growing up right now in society do care about what truth is. Sometimes people manipulate information, right? Sometimes it happens. Claiming it's true claiming it's right. We have a concern these days with fake news, right? You've heard that. That's been out there. Fake news it actually made the list of words of the year for 2017 in the Collins Dictionary. This is what it said. Fake news, noun, false, often sensational information disseminated under the guise of news reporting. 
We all know what this looks like, right? We know what fake news looks like. It looks like a news story. We're in the Facebook feed. It's like news story. And then we find out it's bogus. It's not true. It's not real. You can go to you know, Snopes or one of these things. You find out, oh, it's a total lie. I, I saw a very interesting piece of news this week, very questionable news, concerning this hurricane in the Carolinas. Some of you, I think, have probably seen this already, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. This is great. Uh, this is a reporter who's reporting the conditions of the supposedly extreme windiness in an area affected by the hurricane. And we can see the guy's like steadying himself against the wind, this oppressive wind. What I want you to do is I just want you to watch it and I just want you to watch what's happening behind the guy. Let's roll that video. They're not even wearing long pants. They're, they are wearing shorts and strolling. It's like, what's up, man? This guy, oh my gosh, the wind here is, I'm such a hero out here in the wind. These guys are like, oh, hey. And they're like teenagers, right? Um, how do we know what's true? How do we know what's true? If we hadn't seen the guys back there, we all would have thought the same thing. Man, it's windy there. Till I see the kids walking behind them with shorts. How do we know? And that was the Weather Channel or whatever. That wasn't like, you know, some fake news site. Just a guy trying to look like things were more serious than they are, just being dramatic. I know none of you are ever dramatic and you don't know anybody dramatic, but some people are. How do we know what's true with stuff like this going on? How do we know? In fact, there's all kinds of things that we have come to believe are true that are not true. I grabbed a list of things that you may have thought were true. Just for an example, just a few things, and some of you may know that these aren't true, but some of you may not. Napoleon, the emperor, the guy from France, was not short. He was slightly above average height for a French man of his time. So the whole Napoleon complex thing doesn't work. Swimming after you eat does not cause cramps. Although it can cause you to be short of breath, but usually not a problem. Kids, you can go in the pool, okay? When I was a kid, it was like, oh, don't go in the pool for an hour or whatever. I, how many hours of my life did I lose, Dad? <laughs> you cannot see the Great Wall of China with the naked eye from space, okay? You've been told that you can, you cannot. The tongue, does that remember the map of the tongue, like bitter, sweet, sour, whatever, and it's got all these spots? <laughs> not true. Does not have different sections for different tastes in your tongue. Milk does not make you produce more mucus. Therefore, you can have dairy when you have a cold. Congratulations. <laughs> Shaving does not thicken or darken hair. Sorry, son. And all kids that are that age, we're like, if I just shave this thing enough times, it's going to grow back so thick. You can shave it six times a day. It's not getting any thicker. Um, it'll happen eventually. It'll happen eventually. Uh, Vikings. Remember the horned helmets that those Vikings wore? They never wore horned helmets. Not real. Those helmets were created in the 19th century uh, and used for opera pieces and stuff like that. Wearing a horns on your helmet wouldn't have made any sense. We just grabbed that thing and, you know, just, anyway, they didn't. Bulls are colorblind. Red does not make them mad. It's the shaking that makes them mad. Doesn't matter what color it is. Okay, here's, here's my favorite. And this is the last one I'll give you. You've heard. Some of you have heard that when you're sleeping at night and you're laying down and you're breathing out, that spiders, <laughs> right, are attracted to your warm breath and that they crawl up 
and they go in your mouth and that the average person eats like eight spiders a year, right? You've heard this before. Thank God it's not true, okay? Not true. If you eat eight spiders a year, it's because you chose to eat eight spiders a year, in which case, you nasty, okay? Um, you probably swallow zero spiders a year. All right, now that I've set you free, let's, uh, let's ask our question again. So how do people know that the things that they believe are true? How do they know? Well, what is truth? Let's not get crazy philosophical on this because I think that this is one of those things that pretty much everybody has a pretty good idea of what they mean when they say the word truth, okay? Truth is the way things actually are, okay? A true statement is a statement that describes reality as reality actually is, right? That's what truth is. What is real? What is the real thing? That's what truth is, okay? So what is knowing? If we wanna know truth, what is knowing? This one is a little harder. Knowing is a little harder. I think uh, I can think something is likely, right? I can think something is likely that the Huskies will beat the Ducks in their game later this year. That's likely. Get over it. Not even ranked, okay? Um, it's likely, right? There's things that I can think are likely. I can be pretty sure of something that's another level. I can be certain of something. I mean, I know that that's true. These are all different degrees of knowing, right? In the law, we have a number of terms like probable cause or preponderance of the evidence or clear and convincing evidence or the one that most of you are familiar with, beyond a reasonable doubt from your trials. You remember, um, only some of you. Um, beyond a reasonable doubt, right? All of these are descriptions of certain levels of certainty of knowledge. How much knowledge can I have? How certain am I? That's how we sort of describe it. When I was a kid, um, and I'm going to tell you this story because sometimes we can think we know something, like we thought that guy was in wind before those guys walked behind. When I was a kid, we were watching the Donahue show. So since I did the Reddit thing and everybody under 30 knew about that and everybody over 30 didn't, now I'm switching it. Donahue, which everybody... Under 30s, probably never. What's Donahue? You guys remember Donahue, right? White-headed gentleman. Um, so we were watching an episode of Donahue or something, and, and my, I think it was my mom, my dad, and I, and, and my brother, and my sister, and we're sitting in there, and there are all these uh, people on the show, and they were talking. You remember how the show kind of the setup was. These people were all talking about uh, the, the fact that they had overcome different addictions and stuff. Um, and struggles and so on. And one of them mentioned that she had been 12 years clean and sober. And the audience of the Donahue show just erupts, right? They're just, they're so happy for her. They're just like, you go, girl. That's, I don't think that was a thing that long ago, but they were just like, yay! And my brother gets this crazy confused look on his face. And he's like, what in the world are they so excited about the fact that this woman spent 12 years cleaning sofas? Because... <laughs> Because that's what he had heard. And he's like, what is the big deal about cleaning sofas? This guy's like, I'm going to be a sofa cleaner. People apparently are really excited about people cleaning sofas, right? Um, but he knew, he knew that what the woman had said was that she had spent 12 years cleaning sofas, except that she didn't. Except that she didn't, right? He was sure, beyond a reasonable doubt, this one was just bragging it up about her sofa cleaning experiment, ex experience. Now, what we know is not always what we know, right? What we know is not always true. There's a whole study in the field of philosophy called epistemology. You don't need to write that down. I'm not doing a pop quiz on this content or anything like that, but it's called epistemology. It's basically the study of how we know and what we can know. 
That's what it is. And throughout history, there have been a lot of different opinions and answers to that question. Okay? And we started in a time called pre-modernism. Now, you think pre-modernism, that wasn't long ago, right? We're modern now. We're modern man, modern whatever. Now, actually, when we're talking about philosophy, it's quite different. That pre-modernism is actually before, say, let's just say mid-1500s, about 1600, pre-modernism. Okay? And there was an epistemology about that time. If you want to go deeper into this, we did a Skeptics Forum a couple years ago in 2016. It's all online if you go to seekingskeptics.com. I think it's the first message that we do. I talk a lot about pre-modernism, modernism, post-modernism. I'm just going to give you a quick one, real quick one. Pre-modernism was kind of the what could we know? We could know what had been revealed, what sort of God had revealed. And how did we know it? We knew it through the scriptures and through the authoritative sources, right? The, the pope, the pastor, whoever. That was the kind of the pre-modern method of getting knowledge, Okay. Then we had modernism started coming around in about, you know, let's just say 1600 to make things easy. And modernism was different. What could we know? We could know everything that could possibly be proven. We could just know everything, basically. And how did we know it? Something called empiricism. Right? We could know those things that we could see, touch, taste, hear, smell, that we could experiment with. Right? This is kind of the rise of scientism. We can know those things, kind of like Dr. Francis Collins said, I can know those things that mathematics and chemistry and physics tell me. And, and those things can basically tell me everything. And as we come, as we figure all this out, we're so smart now, we're going to solve all the problems of the world. The problem was that modernism was around for several hundred years, and then we had two world wars that blew up the, the world. And they said, maybe we're not going to figure everything out. Maybe we're not going to bring this utopia in like we thought. Maybe there's more to life than what we can discover through empiricism. And that started the era of post-modernism, because it comes after modernism. Pretty clever name. Um, post-modernism basically says, there's no such thing as truth. Which, of course, then you ask, is that true? Well, it can't be if there's no such Anyway, there's no such thing as truth. There are no big stories that explain there's no meta-narrative worldview. There's no overarching story that can explain how things happen. There's basically just you. What can we know? Nothing. How do we know that? Relativism. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me, and we'll just go along all happily. But we're not that happy. But we're not that happy. All these philosophies have a view on how and what we can know. This is really important. Okay? Because as a believer or as a skeptic, you have to have an answer to these questions about what you are able to know and how you're able to know it. If you can't answer those questions, how can you trust the things that you think you know? It'd be hard, right? Because you probably think you know some stuff. That's my guess. Or if you don't, hopefully you want to know some stuff and you want to be able to describe how you know those things, why you should be able to believe why you, your belief in those things is valid, why you have a warrant, why you're warranted to believe the things that you believe. So how do we know that what we believe is true? Well, we have a bunch of tools we can use, right? If I want to know the temperature that water boils at, I'm going to use science, the tools we have in science, right? If I want to know who the fifth president of the United States is, I'm going to use the tools of history. If I want to know who got into the fridge and took that cake that I was saving for my cheat day, I'm going to use the tools of law enforcement. You hear that, kids? You are going to jail, whichever one of you did that. 
I'm serious. Ah, right, we got different tools. Right? Law enforcement has an investigative way of discovering. Science has a way to investigate and discover evidence. History does. You know, the, in the law, we have ways of what we do. Okay, all, all, all of these things are ways and tools. Okay, They're all tools. They're methods. They help us arrive at conclusions for the things that we then believe are true. We gather enough evidence, right? We come to a conclusion. Unfortunately, there's still a number of people propagating the belief that the only way we can know anything is through the scientific method. The only problem with that is we can't use the scientific method to prove the scientific method. So I guess we don't know that only the scientific method can be proved. But that's a whole side thing. I, I won't even take the easy shots, okay? I mean, I know I just did, but there are a number of people who believe that. This would have been like the Francis Collins, Dr. Francis Collins earlier in his life. Only the scientific method, right? So for the question, I answer the question, how do people know the things that they believe are true? Francis Collins would have said the scientific method. That's how they know. That's how they know. If something can be proven through the scientific method, then it can be proven true. If it can't be proven through the scientific method, then it cannot be proven true, and we cannot know it. And there are so many problems with that, with that statement the first of which I've already mentioned, right? The statement itself cannot be proven through the scientific method. So it sort of self-defeats. But there are further problems. One of the things that this belief leads to scientific atheism, but not because it proves scientific atheism. It's because it assumes atheism. It assumes atheism because it limits the group of things which we can know to truthfully exist to only those things which can be repeated and measured in certain kinds of scientific experiments. And therefore, everything else is just not knowledge. It's just not real. So the philosophy assumes all kinds of things like atheism and like there's no purpose in life. It assumes a philosophy called hard determinism. Scientific atheists have to hold to a philosophy called hard determinism. It is a necessary component of scientific atheism. Okay, And hard determinism is basically, in other words, it's basically... Uh, there, there is no God, and then therefore, all the things that happen and all the things that exist and all the things that go on are things that happen by chance, and all those things were determined to happen. They couldn't have happened any other way. In other words, nothing that happens, including the thoughts that you think in your head, have happened for any reason other than the fact that they were going to happen and they're happening by chance. You have no control over them. Any sense of control that you feel about your life is an absolute illusion. Now, this puts the scientific atheist in a bit of a bind because if you can only think what you are predetermined to think, then you have no reason to believe that anything you think is actually true. Right? Charles Darwin called a version of this problem his horrid doubt. He says, but then with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? British geneticist and evolutionary biologist J.B.S. Haldane makes the problem clear as well. This is what he says. For if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true because I've been determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain. And hence, I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. You see the problem here? If you believe in scientism, that science is the only way to discover any truth, the problem is that it includes 
Besides the fact that it doesn't make any sense as a philosophical statement, but the problem is that that, that that includes the belief, the necessary belief that you only believe that it's true because you were determined to believe that it's true and that therefore you can't depend on the fact that you believe that it's true. And so you get into this very vicious cycle that can really keep you up at night. And it really could. And it really has kept a lot of people up at night, including probably Dr. Francis Collins that we talked about earlier. So, how do we know, how do people know that the things that they believe are true? The answer cannot be only by using science. It cannot be that. For the, that answer is grossly insufficient for the task of answering the real questions that we care about, as Dr. Francis Collins discovered that we talked about earlier. But it also contradicts itself and leads to absurdities, like the ones we just talked about, not being able to trust your own mind about anything that you believe at that point. As agnostic uh, professor from Harvard, Stephen Jay Gould said, he said, to say it for all my colleagues and for the umpteenth million time, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm it, we either, neither affirm nor deny it. We simply can't comment on it as scientists. People have come to the point of realizing that science is not sufficient to completely answer all the questions that are out there. Now, I don't agree completely with Professor Gould, who passed away, I think, back in 2002. Um, I would agree that science, by its legitimate methods, cannot disprove the existence of God, but that's because, not because I think scientific method is completely inadequate to know anything about God, but rather that all of the legitimate scientific discoveries that we've seen, especially in the recent past in physics and other areas, uh, are actually bringing more and more and more and more evidence that God does exist to play, not that he doesn't. That's, that's more the issue for me, which is why we're seeing a surge of theists. That's people who believe in the existence of God, theists. We're seeing a surge of theists, and we have for the last really quarter of a decade, 25 years or so, in the philosophy and science departments of major universities. They're growing. There was a time when atheism was the only show in town, and we're actually seeing a growth in the number of believers that are teaching science, social sciences, and hard sciences like physics and chemistry and so on, math. The truth is that logical, reasonable arguments for the existence of God have become more and more sophisticated. Probably the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, Alvin Plantinga, is a believer and has, and has done amazing work in incredibly complex and sophisticated arguments for the existence of God. And people have more and more and more been rejecting scientism, modernistic, atheistic scientism as a way of knowing things. Okay, To even say that the scientific method is a main way of knowing things as opposed to a tool in our, in our, on our tool belt to try to figure out what's true. Okay, here's, here's the answer now. Let me give you the answer to this question that I've asked tons of times now. How do we know that the things we know are true? How do we know that things are true? How do we know that they are? It is the inner working of faith and reason. Now let me explain that. Christians, atheists, whatever you are, everybody has faith. You all have faith. Nobody walked in here today and has no faith, okay? And, and, and here's what I mean. It takes some level of faith to believe any truth proposition. You believe that the chair that you're sitting in right now is not all of a sudden going to collapse, right? I hope you believe that. 
You believe that as you're sitting there, it's going to continue to hold you up. But you have to believe that at some level by faith, because one of these chairs I took all the screws out of. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do it. I didn't do that. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. No. No, you're good. You're good. Your faith, but you were starting to lose your faith, uh, at least in that, right? If, if, if you are sitting in a chair, if you're driving a car, you're believing that it's not just going to all of a sudden go crazy and, and pull off the side of the road without you moving it, right? You have faith that your car is going to work the way that it's supposed to, right? You have faith that when your teacher told you that George Washington was the first president of the United States, that she was telling you the truth. You have a certain level of faith because you weren't there. Well, some of you maybe, but most of you were not there at that time, right? You have faith that today this sermon is going to get over in time for you to watch football. Whether your faith is well-placed, we will find out. Every belief you hold requires some level of faith. You have a faith position. There are elements of faith and hopefully reason in every belief that you have. This applies to scientific beliefs as much as, it believes, as, much as moral beliefs or beliefs about God or any other metaphysical right, things out there. What you believe about love, justice, truth, and what you believe about when water boils, they're all going to have some aspect of faith and some aspect of reason, right? That's how it works. Faith and reason work together to help us know what's true. How do we know what's true? Faith and reason working together. That's how we know what comports with reality. We use reason, logic, and evidence to get us to a certain point. We gather the evidence. We investigate the truth. We get us to this place where we're pretty sure really sure, beyond a reasonable doubt, we get somewhere. And then from that spot, the next step that goes from there to knowledge is in step of faith for everybody. It's not, this is not unique to Christians or to atheists or to anybody else. We have reason that can take us to a certain point, and then faith has to take us across the threshold. That's how it works. Faith, faith is the thing, is that step that we make the thing that we do that we can't see based on all the things that we can see, right? We can see many things and we take all that evidence. Faith is that step, the part that we can't see, the part that's left. So when we work through the issues that Lord willing will be working through in the next weeks, the question for the skeptic is not, do I have faith? Now, Christians have faith. I don't have faith. I believe in science. Bull. You're sitting in that chair hoping that I didn't take the screws out of it, okay? You have faith. You have faith about a million things. There, there is no, there is any, any real scientist will tell you that there is nothing in the realm of science that has been proven completely. And it's not even in the nature of science to try to, to try to do that task, to prove something that would require zero faith. There's no such thing. You already have faith with every belief that you have. Now the question is, which worldview, which worldview has the best reasons behind it. Which worldview has the best reasons to believe that it's true? Is it atheism or agnosticism? Or do the truth claims made by Christianity take actually less faith, less faith than believing those other things? That's the question you need to ask yourself. That's what you got to walk through. When you line up the evidence all of it, not this little piece here, and I'm going on Reddit and I'm in my pajamas, mom, make me a sandwich, and you're doing it. But the real the real evidence, the real stuff, all of it, comprehensively, and you put it together, which one of these truth claims makes more sense of the world? Atheism, agnosticism, Buddhism, Islam. I mean, there's a million out there. 
It's a whole marketplace. The question is, which one requires the smallest step from evidence to knowledge? And it's our contention that Christianity takes the smallest step. But it's the contention of many that Christianity is nonsense or that Christianity is something that only dumb people believe. We're going to talk about whether Christianity is just a psychological crutch, Lord willing, later on. That's kind of what the zeitgeist, that's kind of what the, where, where things have been moving. But there's no warrant, there's no reason to believe that Christians are dumb. It's Christians who started Harvard and Princeton and yeah, all these schools. It's, it's Christians that have traditionally been the ones that have built up the scientific method in the first place. Why? Because Christians believe that God was ordered and therefore that the universe and the world would be ordered. Therefore, we could experiment on it and expect to get similar results. Therefore, we could get some knowledge through science. That's a Christian mindset. Okay? So I just want you to be clear about that. I want you to be clear both about the fact that that, that, that story Christians, dumb, atheists, smart, is an untrue story. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing that people do when they're trying to make an argument, and they don't have a good argument. It's ridicule. That's all it is. It's ridicule. There's a guy, um, David Berlinski, he, he doesn't claim to be a Christian. Actually, he describes himself as a secular Jew. He comments on the philosophy of so many atheists and sort of what they've tried to say is true. Lately, he says this, has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Has anyone provided proof that God doesn't exist? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it is not religious thought? close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational, not even in the ballpark? Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. Maybe there's something to what David Berlinski is saying here. Maybe. People have been more and more realizing and understanding the interplay between faith and reason both in the physical and the social sciences. As time has gone on, these people who are the ones who are trying to discover truths, they've more and more been understanding and working through the interplay between faith and reason, which is why we see so many more in the sciences these days. The philosophies and arguments that were supposedly proving that God does not exist have been consistently disproven or shown to be faulty, and the arguments for the existence of God have become more and more sophisticated and convincing. It is now reported that two-thirds of scientists and universities are, they believe in God, two-thirds. Two-thirds of scientists and universities now believe in God. That's not a made-up statistic like my wife's class. That's real. <laughs> How is it possible when Time Magazine told us so long ago that God was dead, that he's so alive, not only in churches, but in universities, in science, in politics, in, in every aspect of life, everywhere you go, 
Why is it that belief in God is still incredibly strong? Because we're all idiots? No. Even one of the foremost atheist philosophers of the 20th century, the guy that I used to read when I was in, when I was uh, studying philosophy, a guy named Anthony Flew, a few years ago, went from being this incredibly powerful arguer for atheism to being a theist, a believer in God. The fact is that the evidence that really, really, really smart people who have spent a really, really, really long time thinking about these things, more and more are coming around to the idea that God is real, not that he's fake, not that he's not real. That's the fact. For 2,000 years, it's been trying to be pushed out of existence that Christianity is true, and yet it's still incredibly strong. The evidence is strong. There is plenty here for the skeptic to sink his or her teeth into. And here's the thing. The thing that's really cool about Christianity in this thing, in the way that we're working, is that Christianity is about facts. It's about actual, real, historical facts. So it can actually be judged, not just on some ethereal, spiritual thing, but you can actually judge Christianity on whether a certain historical fact took place. The whole thing. The entire play turns on one act, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Christianity rises or falls on it. If it happened, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Christianity is certainly true. People don't rise from the dead. So if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Christianity is certainly true. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, Christianity is certainly false. Certainly false. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19 says this. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. What's he saying? Your faith, that step you took, was not based on good evidence. If Christ is not risen. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also we who have fallen asleep, in, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And if we only have a hope in Christ, a Christ that died and did not rise again, we are the most pitiable people on the face of the planet. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time here. See, I, here's the deal. Some of you may think this, but we're actually not here because we couldn't think of anything better to do on a Sunday morning. It's not why we're here. It's raining. I guess I'll go to a church. That's not, that's not why we're here. It's not why we're here. We're here because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And that is a fact that you can know through faith and reason as much as you know anything. It may be one of the most attacked historical facts in, in existence because the whole play turns on that one act. And yet in 2,000 years, they have not disproved that Jesus rose again. They have not produced a body. They have not convinced us philosophers. They have not convinced the scientists. I know that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose from the dead based on the same kind of evidence, the same kind of logic and reason that makes me believe that Abraham Lincoln lived. It's the same kind of historical inquiry that I can do to know that Abraham Lincoln lived. I can do that same kind of historical inquiry to know whether Jesus lived, whether he died, and whether he rose again. The same kind of inquiry. It's a historical fact. And here's the deal. 
I know it's true, and it transformed my life. It's not Abraham Lincoln didn't transform my life. But because of Jesus Christ, I have life, and I'm new in him. Ultimately, that's what this series is about, because it's always going to be about Jesus. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead, verifying that he is the truth. And that he can and will change and transform you from death to life. Ultimately, that's what I want you to know. But I'm willing to do the work to prove it. I'm willing to do the work to talk about the things that are difficult. But ultimately, what I want you to know is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that the power of his resurrection is still at work. That his Holy Spirit is here and still at work and can change your life. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. That you can still believe the things that are true. All of us at one time believed something different. All of us have been convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Lord, you have shown people for thousands of years that you're true, Lord. Just to look at the beauty of your handiwork, it is clear that this is no accident. This is no mass of random cells that came together. I'm not a sack of meat. In fact, the love that I have for my mother, my father, my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room and around the world is actually a real thing, not some chemical reaction occurring within me. That I can reject that outright because you show me that you're real. And if you're real, then morality is real, then love is real, then justice is real, then truth is real then there's a reason for our existence, then there's a a point to life. And life is in you. And I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would just work in the hearts of those who will be here over the course of this series, Lord willing, Lord, who who are angry about the things that have happened because a lot of bad things have happened in this world. Those who are who are fighting against the truth, those who suppress the truth, And unrighteousness, Lord, I pray you would just open their hearts and let them see you for who you are. God, you are so good to us. Be with us, Lord. This week, Lord, we thank you for the miraculous things that you do every day. Of course, we believe that you can do anything. And we ask you that we would see your miracles, that we would see your work, that you would verify your work, your scripture, your truth, continuously as you transform each one of us. God, you're good. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.